So, Reed, Easter weekend just passed by us, and what do you think is the most popular Easter candy this year? I'm going to guess something popular, although I just said I didn't like them. Uh, Cadbury eggs. Cadbury eggs was number two. You mentioned jelly beans. 16% of people prefer jelly beans. That's two and three in the list. You didn't mention chocolate bunnies, but that's fourth on the list. Number one, by far, is... Reese's peanut butter chocolate eggs. The one thing I was surprised about is Peeps. You didn't say anything about Peeps. Oh, yeah. Those don't count. It's like uh, cotton candy. It's not really a thing. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, welcome to episode number 116 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Spring is upon us. It's nice. It's beautiful. I went out for a bike ride yesterday. It was great. How far did you go? Just a little bit over 10 miles. Very good. Well, everybody's probably still in a little bit of a candy coma. We ended up with a lot of the, uh, you know, we mentioned jelly beans uh, or candy at the top of the show and uh, a lot of jelly beans and the eggs this year, but they're like the Lemonhead flavored brand jelly beans, if that makes sense. So not the jelly bean brand. I have to check those out. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling a friend. Touchpoint.health is the website. Be sure to go out there and check out all the uh, the new shows that maybe you haven't seen before or heard before, we encourage you to do that. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to the uh, weekly email called the uh, TPS report. You can find that on the website as well. So love to uh, communicate with you and be connected and uh, certainly love when, when you all reach out on all the interwebs. Absolutely. Today, we are going to talk about something that we have not talked. Well, we've talked around it or about it in and amongst other episodes, but we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive around internal communications and kind of the digital side of that. But before we do, let's take a quick pause and hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Using powerful AI-driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system, maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. So talking about internal communications today, Reed, this is a topic that personally, I haven't really spent a lot of time personally doing internal communications. Now in your, in your background, have you? Pre-social media, certainly, and pre what we now call digital. But when I was at a hospital, it was a small place and, you know, it was kind of a jack of all trades. And so, you know, newsletters and Town hall forums and you know different mediums like that uh, I've been responsible for through the years, and then consulting with some clients on and off here and there, you know, done some things around internal communications as well. 
In my work, working within hospitals, I actually have done the digital support to support internal communication. So I'm, I'm a little familiar with like the things that they do, but uh, today's episode kind of going a little bit deeper into internal communications and how it's used in the digital age, I'm still going to feel like I'm more of a consultant than a person that's actually walked those shoes. But still, I think we got a lot we could talk about. That's right. So as we get started, we're going to flip over here, and I'm literally flipping over to this tab in my browser uh, to <laughs> Wikipedia and their definition of internal communications is so we can set the stage. And this is probably not earth shattering to anybody, but internal communications is defined by Wikipedia as the function responsible for effective communications among participants within an organization. That would make sense. You're communicating internally. I don't know that that's really news to anybody. Not necessarily, but what's interesting in hospitals and health systems is that those audiences can be of many different types and shapes. Like, for example, we do talk a lot to employees, to people that actually work at the health system, but even those employees can have multiple different types of roles. Like, for example, physicians. Physicians that may be employed or even physicians that are affiliated and maybe not employed, but are considered like those that are part of the internal communications efforts. That's like a a big audience. It's a little bit different than when you're talking to some other internal audiences. Especially the physicians that are not employed. You know, I'm thinking here in Texas specifically, there's other affiliated groups like that, like EMS, for example. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same, kind of different, depending on how your organization handles that or maybe who's responsible for the back and forth or kind of that relationship uh, with the organization may or may not be the same person communicating with your employed group. You also have like nurses and and other kind of staff that are actually out there working within health systems or clinics or, or in that kind of capacity. And the reason why I want to call those people out is because typically when people think about communicating to those audiences, they aren't the typical type of staff that sit behind a computer all the time. So when you talk about digital, you're really not necessarily communicating to someone that may have a work-issued computer. I'll even go further and say I have talked to CIOs who say that they're routinely resetting passwords for email accounts that haven't been logged into for a year. You know, so it hits that annual date of like no one's logged into this thing <laughs> kind of a deal. So not only do they not check their email, like they don't ever check their email, mainly because they don't have a computer, right? Now, I mean, you have middle management and management and, you know, e- even folks that super in you know, supervisory roles that certainly have offices and computers and things like that. But let, let's pause there for just one second and, and think how, how we historically talk to these people. Like what does internal communications look like historically? Well, for many of those people, it's like you, you, you post notifications maybe within the lounges. Maybe you, you know, you have, you, you might communicate to the nursing leaders that then cascade that information down to them. That's the two ways I think about it. Yeah. I mean, you think about all the organizations that have worked with somebody like the Studer group or the Baptist leadership group historically, and you have communication boards, right? And the pillars, you know, you got like finance and quality and all this stuff. That's how we did it, right? We we put stuff up there. And a lot of that communication was built around metrics, you know, different goals that we're trying to meet. And, you know, honestly, the reason those folks are not logging into email addresses uh, or, you know, is a lot of times because they think, well, if it's important enough, somebody will tell me. 
like in a meeting, you know, shift change, you know, is one of those uh, stand up meetings, things like that. So it's kind of, kind of interesting in, in all those groups, whether it's the lab, environmental services, they all kind of have their own flavor on what that looks like. There's other professionals within the organization that you may be communicating with, like the business office. You know, some of these folks may be offsite in a lot of cases uh, as real estate has gotten more valuable. And then ultimately, the folks that lead the organization. Yeah, the C-suite, the leaders. You know, when you think about using digital to communicate if you look at all of those groups, physicians and nurses and professionals, even C-suites, they all interact with digital technology a little bit differently, maybe slightly differently. Maybe, like you said, right, everybody gets an email address, but that doesn't necessarily mean they all use it. No, certainly not. And we all know that that's the biggest entry point for issues on the, on the technology side of the equation, like phishing. Uh, and things like that. So maybe we should stop giving everybody email addresses until we determine <laughs> if they need them or not. But anyway, the point being is there's there's better ways to communicate with these folks. And certainly the in-person stuff is, you know, whether it's stand-up meetings, shift change, town hall forums, you know, that happen on like a quarterly basis, all that stuff's wonderful and, and never should go away. However, everybody's walking around with a computer in their pocket. So there's got to be, you know, on the digital side of the equation, some ways to uh, connect with these folks. The other thing that this Wikipedia definition really brought to mind is there's really three general areas that someone that does internal communications as a function actually performs in. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that because that also, because of what they do, that can impact the types of strategies and digital strategies that they're going to be using. The first is the role of what I guess what you would call like an internal marketer, uh, a person that's attempting to win people over to do something. Maybe it's a particular initiative like open enrollment, for example. It's time to review your benefits. And so that's like you're trying to market people to get them to go do something. And it could be something even much bigger, like adopt a new type of performance management system or a new way to write your goals. Sure. I mean, or even just uh, things that we're doing on the outwardly facing side, you know, we're rolling that out internally, right? Like you think of like Go Red type initiatives or fun runs or, you know, the the NICU walk or, or something like that or NICU reunions, for example. There's those types of things that we're promoting publicly, but you want the internal staff. To, to you know participate or know about or be part of and that kind of bleeds into the second role which is sort of that logistical service support for a particular channel or a particular business unit I'm reminded of the fact that like our IT team is rolling out uh, some new Microsoft products including uh, the office 365 putting things up in, into the cloud which changes the way we're actually going to be using the common tools that we do and so from a logistical service, uh, internal communications is helping them map out the best way to communicate that to the right audiences and that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, probably in and amongst some of this is, you know, continuing education. I mean, you think about like new grad nurses that come in and have preceptors and things like that. There's ways that through the intranet or whatever it may be that, you know, they're able to kind of participate together. So the third area that Wikipedia highlights is where the internal communications leader uh, acts principally as like sort of a strategic advisor. I see that happen a lot in, in many different ways. It could be uh, helping a particular business unit or a particular service 
learn how to communicate more effectively to their internal audiences and be a little bit more strategic, all the way up to where they sit down with uh, C-suite leaders and help them become more thought leaders in their space and kind of shape their messaging platforms. And I guess, too, you know, from an advisory standpoint, there's other people within the organization that might participate in that way, you know, that are not the internal communications lead or from marketing and communication. So you've got people from HR or again, back to the kind of the, the continuing ed side of the equation, you have folks that participate in those roles from more of like maybe an internal institute or something like that. You know, with the whole landscape of all of that work that an internal communications person does, uh, I think it's important for us to think a little bit about how digital and the stuff that you and I talk about a lot when it comes to marketing and other aspects of the organization, how does this maybe apply towards the internal communicator? So I found an article, read that I thought would be really good for us to kind of look at, and maybe we could use this as a way to, to chat a little bit about some of the things that may be impacting that internal communications role. And it's called the Top 13 Hopes and Trends for Internal Communications in 2019. And what's interesting about this is that a lot of this is about how internal communications is going to evolve to address ever more digital workplace. That sounds very ambitious. 13 hopes and trends for internal <laughs> communications in 2019. So I'm looking forward to going through those. Let's take a quick break here from uh, one of our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint. From the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touchpoints that matter. All right, so before the break, you introduced this uh, article that we're going to walk through. And so again, we're going to go through the actual 13 hopes and trends uh, for 2019 as it relates to internal communications and kind of see how that may or may not relate to uh, healthcare. Let's jump in. And incidentally, all of these were suggested by experts in internal communications from other businesses. So we'll mention their names too. First one's from Chelsea Moore. Editor-in-Chief of GlaxoSmithKline News, and she said that you want to expect to see even more real and less polished communication when you're doing internal communications. Don't focus on sort of those heavily produced broadcasts and expensive video production. Really work in more of that quick, down-and-dirty mobile phone videos, BuzzFeed-style listicles, GIFs, memes, all of those other things. That's interesting. I do feel like we're a little caught up in, if we're doing communications, we're doing communications. Therefore, it's going to look and sound and be like this. It's real polished. But I think that's an interesting thought process around that. It's a place, at least, I guess, to step away maybe from tone, voice, brand standards, You know, some of the stuff that you're so uh, closely locked to in the uh, public sense. 
And I think it really addresses sort of the the way we as individuals are getting news in different formats. And those are the things that we're kind of paying more attention to. But one thing she also mentioned is that that not all employees are willing to cross that threshold to use their personal devices to consume that news. So don't think that even taking a multi-channel approach implies that you're going to also communicate with them through their own personal mobile phone, which I thought was an interesting twist on that. Interesting. All right. The second one comes from uh, Adrian Cropley, CEO and founder of Cropley Communications and the Center for Strategic Communications. It's about adopting, embracing and adopting new technology that will not only help free up our time, but help organizations communicate better. Build our ethics and governance uh, competency so we can take active leadership roles in the organization's conscience. So um, embrace and adopt new technologies. Obviously, even though we just talked about they won't use personal cell phones, right? But all of those new ways that we're learning how to communicate that we as digital citizens are using now to communicate with each other. And that could include things like like the, we've heard about like Yammer and, and Jive, sort of those internal social media type platforms that you can build. But that's only the start of that. Think about how organizations or how individuals in an organization are using other tools to communicate. Is it like a WhatsApp messenger service? Well, I've heard in some organizations are drop addressing some of that for emergency communication needs from an internal perspective, or maybe Facebook as another adoption tool. That could be, you know, one of those new technologies that you start to embrace. And by doing so, it actually kind of takes that internal communications person out of the role of just having to deal with communications. Now they have to worry about that governance around how do we communicate through these different vehicles. Around new technologies, I think we'll continue to see more of them, but it's not even just how do we buy more things to implement, but also how can we participate in areas where they already are? And we'll get to more of that more of that later. Well, the third one is interesting. When we talked briefly about it at the top of the show, target and tailor your communications for different audiences. Build personas to represent various employee segments and to help guide communications activities and messages. And that's from Ann Mellinger, who's CEO at Brilliant Inc., which provides you know consulting, strategic consulting for our organizations. How do you feel about personas? You know, honestly, I don't know that I've ever thought about building personas uh, internally. I mean, we do this, we do this with advertising, right? And I mean, who are we trying to connect with and where are they and what they look like and from a demographics perspective, what would make sense from the messaging and imagery and all that kind of good stuff. But I, it would make sense to do it internally, right? I mean, we're still trying to communicate with people. You know, it's interesting. Our internal comms team actually has built personas for their different audiences. They show them as percentages of the overall population of our employee pool, which even makes it more um, more nuanced and allows us to start guiding towards a more personalized communication. No, that's cool. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. Um, and those are probably ones that you need to update over time because those percentages are going to change, right? Whereas from a marketing perspective, you know, we're still trying to go after that same person. So you're not really keeping up with the percentages per se. The fourth one comes from uh, Teresa Urbankova. I think I said that right. Uh, head of Global <laughs> External Communications, Animal Health for some company that I can't pronounce. 
again, along the technology front, I guess, but corporate mobile apps will become even more common as they facilitate employee communication and strengthen engagement and loyalty. So the idea here is, is like, you know, we, we used to kid about like everybody wanted an app, right? But it was a public facing app. This is probably a realistic reason to have an app, right? Is to, to be able to communicate, not just communicate, but give resources uh, to employees in in a more succinct way, again, via their phone or their smart device, tablet, whatever it is, versus having to wait till they're on the network and go to some you know, antiquated intranet. And you're getting them on that device that ba- basically breaks free of the firewall of within the, the organization. That's really important. Number five is by Kyle Gillis, Corporate Communication Specialist at Magna International. And Kyle says, more image and video-based communications as opposed to long-form written communications. Why do you think he says that, Reed? Well, because that's what we're used to seeing and interacting with. You know, we're in an Instagram world or Facebook or however you kind of want to frame that. But that's how people want to consume content, it seems. Absolutely. No one reads anymore, right? Nah. It's a waste of time. (laughs) waste of time. It's all about podcasting these days. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say anything about podcasting. I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Number six is from uh, Lisa Pantelli, director of Become Communications. Uh, internal communications increasingly use data and gain confidence in having conversations based around data and measurement. I mean, that would make sense. You know, what do people want to hear or see? I'm starting to see a little bit of a trend here, Reed. We're, we're now, what, about halfway through, and it seems like everything we're talking about for internal communications, you and I have probably talked about from a marketing perspective that needs to happen as well. Everybody's a consumer, and so we're trying, we're trying to sell you something. You know, what's interesting about using data to gain confidence, right, about the work that you're doing is that... Sometimes for internal communications, your goals, your KPIs, if you will, are a lot different than if you're doing a marketing activity. Your KPI may be a more adoption of this particular service or are, are making it more efficient for people to do their work. Those KPIs are a little bit different. But at the end of the day, they're still KPIs. Absolutely, they are. Okay, let's go on to number seven from Michael Blash. He's a corporate communications executive and chief commercial officer at Inkbench. And he says, the audience may be internal, but they live in a barrier-less communications environment. Communicators who add the most value will understand the uniqueness of internal audiences and also know how to operate in a world where communications flow freely virtually everywhere. That's a fancy way of saying what we just talked about a couple of uh, points before, starting to use communications in a way that's free from the intranet, that's broken out of that firewall, that can actually get to people when it's convenient for them. That's right. It makes sense. That's just the reality in which we live. You know, this is not a siloed uh, environment anymore. Uh, Number eight is from David Grossman, CEO and founder of the Grossman Group, uh, training to elevate leaders in the organization on how to use communication tools more effectively, i.e. social media, proper email communication, etc. It's interesting, and and I like where he's coming from. It's kind of an efficiency play. People are willing to consume content. It's just got to be good. So how do we get better at this? And how do we use the tools in a smarter way? 
gone are the days where you just, okay, we'll just send an email to everybody who works at this hospital about the bake sale this Friday. No, what you want to do is you want to start crafting your communications a little bit more effectively and maybe not use email, right? And maybe use different ways that you can get that same message across. Not that I'm advocating for promoting bake sale Fridays. Eh, you know, if it works. <laughs> okay, Zora Artis, who's the CEO of 3AC and Director of Inter- International Executive Board at IABC, Zora says that investing in ourselves beyond communication competency, think about business acumen, understand the business, the financials, the risks, the strategy, and how it all connects together. Yeah. You should do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that makes sense. It's good. It's like, you know, taking the step back, what's the bigger picture? What are we really trying to accomplish? Because you can get so focused on open rates or, you know, people showing up to an event or whatever this KPI is, you know, you're getting so hyper-focused on some of those things. You kind of forget about the bigger picture. What ultimately, what are we trying to accomplish? And really understanding the business and what 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 is important to the business, the HR person say it's re, might say it's really important to do this particular thing, but ultimately at the end of the day, and maybe you want to promote something else, or you may want to help them communicate something actually that has much more impact to the bottom line of the organization. So you never know, right? I mean, but getting to know the business better that's important. You know, some of these are starting to build on themselves. And this next one, I think, is is making the point for some of the things that we've talked about. But number 10, uh, submitted by Mike Klein, who is a principal at Changing the Terms, says that the overall business case internal communications is presenting to the C-suite is still fragmented. So go back and develop the metrics that show the investment in internal communications uh, is driving business value. It's the ROI argument you know, how, how is what we're doing actually providing value? I think that a lot of marketers that are might be listening in right now are thinking, well, we've been doing that for years, or at least we've been trying to show the ROI of, of our efforts. I think it's good that everyone is trying to see that, right? And really trying to show that the value that we're providing to the organization is driving that business value. Let's go on to number 11, from Priya Bates, who's president of Inner Strength Communications Incorporated. And Priya states that the biggest opportunity for 2019 is training. Communication professionals need to invest in staying up to date on best practices, tools, and technology used to communicate more effectively. So here is one thing that I think is really critically important and maybe understated. Being the leader of a digital team that supports our internal communications team, what this is really saying is similar to what we said on the marketing side is that we shouldn't have marketing and digital marketing. Everybody in marketing should be digital marketing. Is this saying the same thing for internal communications, right? That internal communicators need to be up to date on all those tools, technologies, and practices. Yeah, makes sense. Number 12, Sean Williams, vice president, true digital communications says that uh, the return of human contact after a bit of a pause where software and digital tools were primary. So, you know, he's making the case, I guess, for what we mentioned earlier, which are some of the things that we've been doing in healthcare and probably doing pretty well, quite honestly, uh, with forums, with rounding, uh, shift change handoffs, uh, stand-up meetings, department meetings, you know, things like that, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting because when we start to talk about journeys of our customers, so to speak, in many times, we're not just talking about digital journeys, we're talking about online and offline journeys and how they support each other. I think the, the, the spirit of this uh, statement from Sean is the same thing. It's like, remember that a lot of what we do from an internal comms perspective is that face-to-face communication. I think that that builds and engenders that trust. So use digital where it's appropriate and use face-to-face where it's appropriate and use both all the time. Let's kind of round this this list of 13 here out with a uh, hope and a trend, perhaps, from Jim Schaefer, founder and CEO of the Jim Schaefer Group, where he says, adding measurable value and producing positive ROI that internal communication customers and their shareholders will benefit from. The ending here of this article really goes back to ROI. Big surprise there, right? Yeah, big surprise. Well, this is one of those things that, you know, we always talk about hiring good people and patients will benefit and things like that. And this is kind of along those lines, right? You know, the shareholders will benefit, you know, if you're actually doing this correctly and providing value through a lot of these channels, right? This is a cool list. Uh, It's a good list. And and you're right. It it does equate to the marketing side of the house as much as the internal communication side of the house. And so, again, a lot of these things hold true regardless of what it is that you're talking about. You know, maybe we could add a 14th trend to the list. And and honestly, I I think it was kind of mentioned in there a couple of different times. But, you know, maybe call out social media specifically is a trend in, in internal communications. And so this actually leads us really nicely into a conversation that I had recently with Jacob Sloan and Megan McCook from Baylor Scott and White, based out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, on how they're using social media uh, and how it has become a key delivery channel for their internal communication efforts. So uh, let's take a minute and uh, hear from them and some folks that are practically doing this on a daily basis. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. All right, we're back with the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And actually, I guess today is ask the experts. So I've got more than one with me today, uh, Jacob Sloan and Megan McCook, both from Baylor, Scott and White. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks for having us. Sure thing. So you guys fall within uh, marketing technology within the broader spectrum, I guess, of marketing and communications within Baylor, Scott and White. Maybe take just a second and maybe give everybody listening uh, if they're not familiar with Baylor Scott and White, and then uh, sp- more specifically, what you guys do on a daily basis, give us just a little uh, little flavor of what that what that looks like. So Baylor Scott and White is the largest not for profit healthcare system within Texas, and we have locations really 
up and down uh, Texas, north, all the way down to Austin, and then primarily a lot of locations in Dallas. We, uh, it, as part of the marketing technology department, our focus is really on the digital components of our marketing strategy, structuring out portions of our website, and we've always traditionally owned uh, the social media component of our, our marketing strategy. That's really where our team evolved. Uh, I, I guess probably two years ago, you would have called us the social media team. We've now sort of formalized that and saying we're more of a digital engagement team as part of the marketing department. Um, but really focused on building out our web strategy, our social media strategy, any kind of digital acquisition programs we run. Those are all kind of unified now as part of our, our marketing technology team. Nice. And Megan, how has your role kind of evolved over the last few years from, I guess, what used to be social media, quote unquote? How has that kind of evolved philosophically? Yeah. So it's it's interesting that um, we're going through such a period of transformation. My official title is manager of social content and campaigns, but as Jacob alluded to, our expansive definition of digital engagement continues to add more to our plate. So I started in proactive content across social media. Um, we launched the system blog Scrubbing In in 2013, and now that's really become integral to all the digital acquisition campaigns that we're in the process of building out. And our social programs across the board have continued to grow as we have a greater emphasis on driving local engagement. Um, and also as the brand continues to gain national traction, we've had a greater emphasis in plugging our content into a lot of the digital programs like the emails that we're building out and uh, a lot of the other traditional marketing components where we can plug the digital content. Megan, maybe maybe you can answer this, but you know, what is the role of social media now? So we knew what it used to be. And you hear things about like the organic reach is gone and some of these types of things. So what is the role of, of social media now within healthcare organizations, do you feel? Yeah, I think it's it's really become more of the one-to-one interaction with the content that we're developing. So in addition to the things we're doing to capture the feedback from our patients and uh, members, we're also using it as one of the tools in the marketing mix to really surface the things that we're doing in a way that's valuable to the individual. And I think that as the algorithms continue to change and it becomes even more difficult to get things in front of people, it's become increasingly important to really drive drive individual interaction through uh, personalized content. And um, that's really shifted the way in which we approach our editorial strategy over the last couple of years, too. It's funny because I feel like some of those one-to-one interactions that we've glossed over, at least on the digital side of the equation, for some years now has been the employee base, right? We've got hundreds, if not thousands of people coming to work at these organizations every day. And so you guys have have taken what used to be called internal communications, probably still is called internal communications to some degree, and have developed what you guys are calling your employee engagement program. And so, Jake, what does that look like? And and what is social's role within within that programmatically? So really being over the social media program and working in that for as long as we did, uh, we really started to see, you know, as the algorithm shifted, as the sort of uh, every social network moved towards this pay-to-play model, we were really working on how we could 
have a greater effect and continue to reach those people and really wanted to start empowering our uh, employee base and our service line leaders and our physicians to get out there and know what to say on these social networks, how to participate. So we did a lot of legwork in that. We did a lot of education programs. Um, We built some courses and some presentations to get those folks up to speed on that. Uh, And what we kept running into is they just really wanted the, you know, full gamut. They wanted you know, what should I say? How should I word it? You know, where should I link? How should we know whether that link is effective? And so what we actually started doing uh, as part of the social media program really was we, after creating content, after creating blog posts, or after our media relations team uh, would get a story, you know, in the news, in on a news site or at a station, we would take the link to that and we'd package it up in email with kind of a little suggested copy uh, as far as what you could say to tell people what they're going to see when they get to that link. Uh, and we started to see people really latch on to that and, and find that to be effective and got excited about that and expected it. And so that really made us want to make it more programmatic, find a way to make it easier for us to facilitate that, to almost provide a content backpack, as it were, to our employee base, uh, in part so that they could see this stuff. Because, you know, a lot of our employees, they're not getting all our email marketing, they're not on social media on a daily basis. Uh, so a blog post that concerns them or that uh, is is about their area may not make its way to them for several weeks. So uh, in part, we wanted to find a good way to reach them to get in front of them uh, so that they could see it, get excited about it, and also get the same information, you know, we were putting out to the public. And that's where we kind of started developing this employee engagement program, really in partnership with all the departments across marketing and communications, you know, internal communications, our executive communications group is also really involved in it. And so it's been really a collaborative effort across everybody. That's cool. And so as you guys did this early on, and you mentioned the emails and kind of packaging up the content and that kind of thing, it's fair to say you guys were finding that most people they were wanting to do that already. They were wanting to kind of spread the good news, so to speak. In a way, yeah. I think uh, it depended on you know the person, of course. There were some people that were very eager to do it. Uh, there were others that sort of knew they should be doing something on social media. They should be posting to LinkedIn, but they really, right. I wouldn't say they were necessarily excited about posting those messages. They just kind of saw it as a as a must do. But we, I mean, I think as we made it easier to participate, the same level of excitement kind of rose up in everybody about just contributing and seeing the effect of of posting. You know, not everybody is as digital native and as living on Twitter and posting links and interacting with people on a regular basis. So for a lot of uh, our folks, we realized that was a really new experience for them to share something about what they're doing at work and see what people would say back to them and friends and family comment on it. So we've seen some really good, I, I would say, evolution in the way people think about social media content as we as we went through building out this program. Megan, like when you guys went out and talked to folks, what what were you hearing? And and Jacob, you mentioned a couple of them, but what were you hearing as far as those, those hurdles? I mean, there, there were, there were technological hurdles, right? Like people weren't as used to using some of the platforms. What was kind of the resistance, I guess, of, of people wanting or willing or actually pulling the trigger to, to kind of spread some of that content that you guys find? Yeah. I mean, I think back to 
what Jacob pointed out about the pay to play model and our audience is not seeing all of the messages that we're putting out um, on social, but that also translate into internal engagement. So I think where employees become fatigued a lot of times is by emails. And so, you know, sometimes in some of the updates that we were giving them the option to share different articles and published news links through email, it gets lost in the shuffle. So there was kind of a need to separate this um, opportunity and a way to simplify it for the individual employee so that it was a simple action of them just being able to share something, you know, with the click of a button. I think one of the challenges for the individual employee was they're not quite sure what to say about the news. So you might share an update with an article, but to Jacob's point, we really needed to be able to give them the context of how to frame up that messaging. And I think that that's where people really got passionate about um, involving themselves as advocates for the brand early in, even before we did license a product where we were were able to kind of push the content directly into their pockets. I know you guys use the Hootsuite product or Amplify to to actually the the technology, I guess, kind of powering some of this or making it a little bit easier for folks. But even before the technological piece of it, do you feel like we, and I mean we as hospitals in general, not not Baylor, Scott & White specifically, um, are we okay with this? Like, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like hospitals have gotten to a place? I mean, obviously you guys have because you're doing it. But, I mean, are, are you seeing other organizations doing this? And how likely is it that we're going to continue to see some of this, I guess, grow where we're engaging employees as brand ambassadors as much as we're, you know, trying to engage the public through traditional advertising? I think it's definitely something we saw a lot of resistance to at first, uh, actually among our, say, our nursing population and our uh, employees that weren't as familiar with interacting with marketing. Uh, I think the idea that you could get out your phone while at work and that it was okay to go <laughs> onto Twitter was very new to them. And we had a lot, uh, you know, even as we rolled Amplify out to the employee base and we were showing employees this app with content in it that they could share out to their networks, uh, you know, people were asking us, well, who's approving this content? And is this okay to share? Like the, the idea of sharing a link to a patient story out was just completely foreign to them because they're used to, you know, don't take photos of patients, protect their privacy. Don't post about what you do at work, you know, on these social channels. So I think that was definitely something we saw there. I think at the higher levels, you know, the the business case for this and the executive levels, they were very excited by it um, and saw a lot of value to it. But I will say, I mean, we looked at companies outside of healthcare as far as the learnings that they were getting out of this and the why and kind of how they had enacted it. I do think it's a little foreign and definitely new uh, for healthcare to do this kind of thing. But, you know, having as large of an employee base as we do, I think that that's where we really uh, saw the value. Megan's done definitely a lot more of the adoption pieces of this and interacted with a lot more of those folks. One of the greatest challenges was getting people to wrap their minds around the fact that we wanted them to be advocates for the organization, because in a lot of healthcare policies, um, specifically at Baylor too, we, we don't discourage the use of social, but it's, you know, it's the delicate balance of when they can actively engage on this and not allow it to conflict with their daily jobs. And so it's really just, it's been a cultural shift, I think, for us here 
to embrace the use of technology as ambassadors for the organization. Um, And one of the selling points that we had shared with our executive leadership that continues to kind of permeate how we've driven adoption is that they understand the concept of trust. And so when we talk about individuals, patients, and consumers trusting people rather than brands, it's really um, been the selling point as to why we need to activate more of our employees' voices online to be advocates sharing these messages for us. I love kind of y'all's thought on this, but and I think this is part of why this is such a good program to consider or something like this, is that you know, if, if I'm a nurse at Ohio State, right, at the big medical center there or whatnot, that's just who I am. So, I mean, you, you, you can put whatever rules in place about I can't do this or maybe this or if you do this and, you know, you can have all the social media policies and all those types of things, which is good. But at the end of the day, I'm still a nurse at this organization, right? So it's really hard to divorce the two. And it seems to me, and I've had people tell me that like, you know, the people that are advocates are going to be advocates, whether or not you give them information to carry forth with or not. Is that kind of something that you guys have seen? I mean, people are going to be active on these channels, regardless of if you, (laughs) if you give them good stuff to run with. Absolutely. To some extent, we've been surprised by the folks that have had the greatest impact in doing this kind of thing than posting content. Because you would think like, oh, well, this this physician who's, you know, world renowned and known for, you know, his uh, expertise, he's going to have this great network. He's going to get a lot of clicks and, and engagement. And it's not necessarily always true. I mean, we've seen nurses have a huge impact in sharing content and, uh, you know, the, the ability for them to personalize the story to the friends and family that are going to see it when they post it you know, really adds to that personalized level of content, gives them the ability to put it in a context that a brand really can't do. But we've even seen like some of our uh, physician liaisons have become really active uh, social media advocates for us. Uh, And it's not something that we thought was necessarily in their wheelhouse. They weren't really, you know, posting a ton before, um, but they've really taken to it and they've realized what kind of influence they have. Because it's interesting to be able to see, you know, some people get maybe more shares when they share something. And some people get a lot of clicks, even though, you know, their friends and family group may not comment on that, may not, you know, jump through it. They're, they're really valued as a resource by the people they're connected to on on a level I think they didn't even realize. It seems reasonable to consider that people would prefer to connect with people versus brands in in a lot of cases, maybe in most cases, I, I don't know. And so again, it just all drives back to this idea that, you know, I'd rather hear I want to hear from a trusted source that may be the brand, but it may, it may be my neighbor, right. That works at this organization or, or what have you. Have you guys seen a certain type of content do well or certain types of messaging? Have you been surprised? You mentioned a little bit of surprise around maybe who was influential, so to speak, but what about the types of content itself? Have you, have you been surprised with some of the things that have worked and not worked and some of those types of things? Yeah, I would say that it's not necessarily surprising the types of content that are resonating with our employee audience, but I think what's been really interesting as we've introduced and piloted the program with various groups across the network is that 
there are different content types that resonate with different employee audiences. One of the ways that we positioned the program and sold it to the employees was really a way to keep up with the local news. Um, But what we've seen in actual response through the analytics is that folks are actually engaging more with the things that are positioned as thought leadership articles, industry news, trends in healthcare, um, and some of our system news and announcements. So I think it's been interesting to see that there's a little bit of a disparity in uh, what they think they want versus what they're actually engaging with when they're using the program. Yeah, that was definitely interesting once we started uh, sharing content. A lot of people really liked the industry articles that you know, we were sharing there um, just from, a, you know, education standpoint, them getting to see that information and see some of the relevance that, you know, we had, we can add to it by adding sort of a caption to that information. We, we saw a lot of people really take to that and want to share that to almost be a more informed healthcare employee, uh, even though it wasn't stuff specific to Baylor Scott & White. Megan, you mentioned a minute ago analytics, and and Chris and I in recent episodes have talked a lot about about measurement and KPIs and things like that. So how how do you determine this is working, or how do you know something's been a success when you look at things like internal communications? Yeah, well, we we kind of pay attention to a few different um, key performance metrics. Of course, the adoption numbers for the program is one thing that. Um, we're keyed into, but even more importantly, we're looking at the reach of the things that our content our content is reaching in others' news feeds. So, you know, an anecdotal example would be that the reach that we're seeing from our branded content is almost it's almost outpacing that from the reach of the posts that our employees are sharing through the advocacy program. So, I think it's interesting to see the exponential reach that your network of your employees have through their contacts on social media as well. I mean, I could kind of keep going down this path, but as we, as we kind of start to think about, okay, uh, I'm at an organization, we're not doing this. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to buy technology or not. Uh, but I do feel like obviously we've got employees coming to work every day that are, they're advocates of ours. You know, how can I best uh, engage them and kind of what are some best practices around this? What are some takeaways? What are what's something somebody could go do today that may kind of help them get started down this path or if they're part of the way down this path and, and looking to optimize or whatever that may be? Uh, Jacob, you mentioned one earlier about looking outside of healthcare when, when you guys, uh, I guess, were looking at this. I think that's something, whether it's this or anything else, is probably a good best practice is, is finding other folks that do this well, even if that means looking outside of healthcare, because there's probably some uh, a whole wealth of knowledge there. What's something that the folks listening could, could go do today? You know, one of the biggest things is just to start having that conversation with uh, the people you work with on marketing programs and on, you know, social media content about what they're doing on social, what they'd be interested in. Uh, you know, that's kind of where that conversation evolved into what we started doing by email and sort of packaging up the link to the the article that was written in the newspaper or to the blog post that we produced as a result of the content or story that, that they helped us craft. We would just, you know, attach a little caption, a little bit of a message and start to give them a little bit of an idea what they could say, what they could post. Um, I think some folks even started taking those and putting them in their own words. And I mean, that's just something simple you can do as you pass these links around to just give them that little extra step that it makes it easy to copy paste and do a little bit of editing and post um, and become more active on those social channels. And really, I think starts to give you a feel for 
what people want to say about these programs and gives them a little taste of what it's like to share that um, out, be you know, actually active on these social networks. Cause we had a lot of folks who had accounts, you know, used Twitter, but didn't ever post, you know, they were just reading the branded content, maybe occasionally liking it. So it really just kind of prompted them to get active, I think, and, and giving them that little extra stepping stone. One of the phrases that we used earlier was just giving your employees the opportunity to find your content. So um, that's been a challenge in the past is that they're not connected to the resources that exist. So making sure that they have that content backpack that they can go to and just choose things to share share outward on their social media channels. Um, social media education is obviously critical to um, helping them understand how and what to share. But I think they can, you know, give them that arsenal of content and then help them to connect with other leaders in their space so that they can kind of um, get familiarized with those conversations that are taking place online and how they can insert themselves with the resources that your healthcare system or hospital already has created. This has been great, guys. I appreciate y'all uh, coming on. This is this is fascinating to me, and I think, especially with an organization the size of, of Baylor Scott and White, you guys obviously have a very large and diverse pool of uh, employees and advocates. But also from a geography standpoint, it's cool to see an organization the size of y'all, uh, you know, doing some of these types of things. So I look forward to kind of keeping up and, and seeing how it goes. Uh, for those that are listening and would love to pick your brain further or ask you questions, what's the best way for them uh, to track you down, Jacob? I would say uh, Twitter or LinkedIn uh, are probably the two best ways to reach me. And I'm just uh, Jacob Sloan on, on both those channels. So Awesome. Awesome. Megan, what about you? I would say probably also Twitter and LinkedIn, but I didn't get as fortunate as Jacob to have my full name as my handle. So um, my Twitter handle is just Meg McCook. So you can just cut off the AN. Easy enough. And we'll link to it in the show notes as well. Again, certainly appreciate you guys uh, spending a few minutes and look forward to uh, having you back on in the future. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks. At Health Grades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. Special thanks to Jacob and Megan for spending a few minutes. It's really neat to see kind of the evolution of a program that started with just, well, hey, let's tell folks that work here about the things that we're doing. And, you know, they kind of, they did that in a very um, basic way, I guess, that's now amplified, uh, no pun intended, through the Hootsuite Amplify product, but a way that they're communicating with their employees and making sure that their uh, advocates have a way to talk about them. So anyway... Appreciate them doing that. Look forward to having them back on. Well, cool. Before we get to recommendations, uh, a couple of quick points. Uh, again, subscribe to the TPS report, the weekly email. That's a great way to you know get some really great links delivered to your inbox every uh, Monday on just some industry news and things like that. 
uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. And then we've got a, uh, a conference coming up. We do. The Forum for Healthcare Strategists uh, is holding their conference, their annual conference in May. And uh, we're going to be there for sure. The Summit on Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategies. Uh, that's May 21st to the 23rd in Chicago. It, I, it's only a few weeks away. So hopefully you've already booked your ticket and booked your hotel room and uh, got your place there. It's going to be a lot of cool stuff that's happening there. And we're going to be there. I'm going to be not only speaking at the event, but we're going to be there. We're going to be recording some audio for the podcast. We're going to be talking to some experts while we're there. It'll be a really great time. And if you're there, definitely reach out to us, run into us, and more than happy to sit down with you and, and have a chat. Awesome. Always a good time and a good chance. That's one of those points in time that we get to see some folks uh, that otherwise we might not see throughout the year. So, Awesome. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, let's uh, let's do a couple of recommendations. Uh, what uh, what do you have today? Reed, I am going to recommend that everyone who lives in a place where they have house plants that they go out and get themselves a cactus. Ah, that's right. You heard me right. A cactus. It's a very hipster thing to do right now to get cactuses or to get cacti. I suppose is how you would say that. And maybe it's because we also live in the in the the bold north here in Minnesota and, and cacti do not grow naturally here. They probably grow all over the place by you. Yes. Yeah. In the past couple of weeks, we've gotten a few cacti that have, have entered into our home. And not only are they very low maintenance plants, they're very nice to, uh, to have um, around and you, you know, you don't have to run the risk of forgetting to water them as often. They also make for a really nice, beautiful addition to the home. So I don't know how, to, how else to say it. And it's kind of weird. You're probably thinking I'm crazy, but I'm going to recommend getting cacti for your house. No, I think it's great. I, I've got a few. I've got a few around the place. Uh, try mostly not to step on them. <laughs> We've got them come all over the place down here. So if you need a cactus, uh, feel free. Come down, take one, take seven. You know. Maybe you can run a service, Reed. Start up a website. Yeah, cactus. Yeah, I can drop ship you a cactus. Well, I'm going to recommend uh, something that I actually have not watched yet, sort of, but it's the new season of a show that I have been watching called Bosch. It's on Amazon uh, Video. So if you have Prime and you watch Amazon Video and that kind of thing. But this is the fifth season. The fifth season just came out uh, a few days ago, so I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. For those that may or may not be interested in this type of stuff, it's it's based on a, a Michael Conley's uh, character, Harry Bosch, who's a detective. Most folks know Michael Conley is a, a novelist, but um, he he did the uh, the Lincoln Lawyer with Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah. That's that's yeah. his that's his series. Like that's his you know books and that kind. Of, that's one of his characters, just like this Harry Bosch character is. I'm not going to bore you with all the the background on that, but anyway, season five just came out. So if you like kind of the detective cop stuff, it's it's pretty cool. But uh, season five is based on uh, his twentieth book, which was titled uh, Two Kinds of Truth." And so, again, have not seen it yet. Uh, season six has already been announced, and so these apparently have been well received. That we're in uh, just releasing season five, which is a lot. For, for like an Amazon Netflix type thing. And then season six is already being uh, uh, slated for uh, April, 2020. Uh, that is my recommendation. Bosch the TV series. Quite honestly, go back and watch the beginning. If you haven't seen it, it's it's really good. Um, I enjoy it. It's based in LA. Uh, it's just kind of a fun show to watch. I'm struck by the fact that it's based on his 20th book, on his 20th book, wow. 
Yeah, of this particular series. I mean, he's obviously got other books he's written. It is good stuff. So that's uh, that's a recommendation. Um, also, you know, reach out to us. We, we've got several. You know, it's really funny. It's kind of ebb and flow a little bit of how many interviews we have in the can at any given time. And obviously those... Uh, uh, increase as we go to conferences and, and talk to folks and things like that. But we still have a handful that we'll be getting to over the next four to six weeks that are going to be really great. Uh, more stuff around content, taxonomy, uh, just the overall digital philosophy. We've got some stuff on AI in there, customer journey, all kinds of good stuff. But if there's other topics or things you'd like to hear us talk about, people we should interview, reach out, let us know who those folks may be. We're always looking for uh, smart folks to talk to and and uh, good topics for shows. And so we appreciate all the support. Absolutely. And if you guys happen to know anybody we could talk to about uh, blockchain, we'd love to do that. Oh, yeah. Blockchain. <laughs> the ever-elusive blockchain. Uh, yeah. If anybody knows anybody good on that, let us know. We would, we'd love to, love to dig in on that a little bit. So cool. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend and uh, appreciate you tuning in each and every week. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith and we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.